0: Welcome to Finding Freedom with Inspire Wellness. I'm Gemma, a body image and food freedom coach, anti diet advocate, and your ultimate hype girl. I'm here to empower you with inspiration, education, and motivation so that you can start living as your happiest and healthiest self, whatever that means to you. I spent years struggling with food, my body, and my mental health until I finally found freedom. Now, I'm on a mission to make sure that nobody goes through what I did and to burn diet culture to the ground while I'm at it. I'm obsessed with helping women to ditch the diets, love their bodies, feel confident AF, create sustainable habits, improve their mindset, and become their next level selves. So, what are we waiting for? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Before we dive into the episode, I'm going to give you a little insight into the glamorous, glamorous life of recording a podcast, at least for me. I'm not one of those fancy people who have a full, you know, podcast studio and soundproof walls and all of those things, because I simply do not. I simply do not. So I record my podcast in my office. Normal thing to do. Just then I had a very glamorous podcast moment. Microphones pick up so much sound. Like you've really got to be conscious of, you know, what's going on around you and things like that. And I just came and sat in my office and this cricket is outside my door, like outside the window. And it's like, it was just going full screamo mode. It just would not stop. It was like, would not stop. So I just had to go outside in the pouring rain and stamp my feet around in my Birkenstocks and my socks (laughs) to try and shut this cricket up. Not to squish the cricket. I'm not squishing the cricket, but... I had to go stamp around until it stopped screaming. So that's my glamorous story for you. Probably not a story you needed to hear, but here you are. That's what I'm giving you. We give you some varied content on this podcast. So fingers crossed the cricket doesn't start up again, or I'm going to have to go back out in the rain, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're not here to talk about crickets. We're not here to talk about me going out in the rain and the cold. We're here to talk about how I went from binging to balance and finally became an intuitive eater. So. I've spoken about my story many times on the podcast before, but I really wanted to specifically talk about that kind of pipeline, I guess, from binging pretty much every day really I was to the place where I finally reached balance. And for me, that's where I've become an intuitive eater. So before we dive fully into my story and, you know, the mistakes I've learned along the way, the lessons I've learned along the way so that you can start applying them to your own life. I just want to talk quickly about the difference between binging, overeating and emotional eating. So this is something that I posted on my Instagram stories the other week, because I just had like a little, little thought in my mind that I feel like people don't actually know the meaning of these terms. And I feel like people use them interchangeably. I see this all the time with clients. Oh, you know, I binged. And when we talk about it, I'm like, you know what? I actually don't know that that was a binge. So I think a lot of people say that they're binging when in actual fact, they're just, you know, eating more than they wanted to. Maybe they're overeating or maybe they're emotional eating. And I did get a few responses from people to this poll that I put up and said, which one of these do you struggle with? I did have a few responses of people going, oh, wow. I just use them interchangeably. I was like, "Mm, interesting hypothesis. Correct. So let me tell you about the difference between them. And this is my version basically this is what i would define each of them as so the first one for bingeing or binge eating i would define that as eating a large quantity of food in a short amount of time and feeling out of control while you're doing it like you feel like you can't stop yourself and i think that's a really key part of this it's not just oh i you know i ate a whole block of chocolate sitting on the couch while i watched maths it's the feeling like you can't control yourself that i believe is the key to the binge eating. Really. I feel like that's what defines a binge. I know for me, when I used to binge, it was like an out of body experience. (laughs) Like afterwards I'd be like, did I just do that? I don't even remember doing all that. Like I physically could not have stopped myself. And then we talk about overeating. So I would define this as, I guess, eating too much, like quote unquote too much, but I actually don't really like the term overeating because what constitutes too much? Like that's going to be different for everyone. And often I think people think that they're overeating when in actual facts, they're just eating enough to fuel their body because diet culture conditions us to believe that we need far less food than what we actually do. So for a lot of people, you know, maybe we go back for seconds of dinner and then we're like, oh, I overate. But in actual fact, we were just hungry. In actual fact, our body just needed more energy. But we believe that we shouldn't have done that because that's what diet culture tells us. So, I guess another definition of overeating could just be like eating past the point of comfortable fullness. So if you, you know, getting to that point where you're like, oh yeah, nah, I'm, I'm too full, I suppose. I guess I'm okay with using that definition. So eating past the point of comfortable fullness or just eating like quote unquote too much, which I like less. And then finally, emotional eating is eating as a way to deal with feelings instead of to satisfy your hunger. So Emotional eating or comfort eating, you know, terms can be used interchangeably. It's not always a bad thing. Like, I think it's fine to do that sometimes. We don't always have to eat just for hunger reasons. Like we're not robots and humans eat for connection. We eat for celebration. We do eat for comfort sometimes and that's fine. It only becomes a problem when that's our only coping mechanism. So hopefully that's defines it a little bit for you. But for me, All three of these have been really key parts of my journey. Some of them more prevalent than others, you know, at different times, but absolutely all of them have been a part of it. So I feel like for me, it probably started with overeating or at least perceived overeating. Once I had this idea of, you know, I guess started being influenced by diet culture more and had this idea of how much I should be eating, I often felt like I was overeating. And for me, that would kind of bounce back, I suppose, into these times where I guess when I started having this unhealthy relationship with food, I did a lot of secret eating and I would, once I had my own wage, you know, I was working at Coles, particularly working at Coles. I could go and buy things from Coles and bring it home and nobody would know. So eating in secret and eating too much in secret, that was my first real kind of foray into overeating, I suppose. So sometimes it really was eating, you know, too much, like eating past the point of comfortable fullness. And sometimes it was just eating what I thought was too much, but definitely emotional eating, came into things. And I think for me, that probably didn't actually start until maybe my late teens as much. I think for me before that, it was just like, I want to eat. I love food kind of thing. And yes, I had that fraught relationship with it, but it wasn't as much tied to my emotions. But once I kind of hit maybe my twenties, I think emotional eating came into it a bit more. And particularly once I moved out, particularly once I lived alone And I was, you know, cooking my own meals and getting my own snacks and doing everything alone. And again, being able to do this in secret, because for me, all three of these things were really linked to shame. I had a lot of shame around each of them. And that was a key part of my kind of journey. So for me, a lot of it was doing it in secret, doing it alone. And then eventually that spiraling into binging. And that was absolutely something I did alone. Never once have I binged in front of another person or around another person. And I think that's really common. I think a lot of people will relate to that. So binging for me started again, absolutely once I was living alone, but after I'd been really diving into restriction, So was that real bounce back effect from restriction. So once I got more restrictive, binging kind of kicked in prior to that, it was just overeating and emotional eating. So obviously I don't struggle with any of these things anymore. I do emotionally eat sometimes, but not in a problematic way. You know, like I said, it's not always an issue and becoming an intuitive eater was The biggest, the biggest part of this, the biggest part of getting over this cycle of struggling with different types of eating. But my path to becoming an intuitive eater was not, not the best one, not the best one. Like it took way, 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 way longer than it actually needed to. It had a lot of missteps and it involved a lot of learning instead of doing, and also (laughs) a lot of wasted money, so much wasted money. And it was basically a whole lot harder than it actually should have been. So the first moment I can remember when I was like, oh my God, yes, I, I I am an intuitive eater after this massive long process of me working on it and, you know, two steps forward, two steps back kind of thing. But I feel like we often go through honeymoon phases with this stuff. So in the beginning, I thought I was like, nailed it, one and done in, I don't know, a couple of months. That's probably what I thought. And I can still remember this moment that I was like, I've done it. I'm an intuitive eater. Spoiler alert. I was not, I was getting onto it, but I was absolutely not there yet. So (laughs) I, and I think I've told the story before, but basically I worked at a gym and I love chocolate, absolute chocoholic. And I can remember one of the other PTs had a chocolate bar and she gave me a piece of it and then she had to go see a client. So she just left it on the desk in front of me now past me would have like, basically had to hold myself back from this chocolate would have like duct tape myself to the wall practically so that I wouldn't eat this other person's chocolate because I didn't want to like no one wants to steal someone else's food. And I'd be doing the, could I eat it? And then maybe I could run down to the shops and buy a replacement one without my boss noticing. But then what if she noticed, or what if I got there and they didn't have dairy milk and then she knew, and what if they found out and I can't leave the desk? Like it's not my lunch break and all of that stress. I would be stressing myself out, but I'd be going, but still, is it worth it? Or should I just do it and say someone else took it? I don't know. A dog running off the street. I would genuinely not be able to concentrate on my work because there was a chocolate bar in front of me and I wanted to eat that chocolate so badly. I would have been so focused on it. But this time, this time I didn't want it. I was like, uh, just did not even think about it. Kept going around my day. And then she came back and was like, Hey, do you want some more chocolate? And I was like, Oh no, thanks. I don't feel like it. And it was like, (gasps) I have never turned down chocolate in my entire life. Not once. What do you mean? Oh my God. I'm an intuitive eater. Done. Ticked it off. I'm incredible. Go me. That's it. Life changing. Mm, Not quite. Not quite. Absolutely. It felt really good in that moment. And the fact that I can still remember that moment. So clearly I'm so proud of that moment, but that wasn't it. And intuitive eating is not like that. It's often not a linear journey. So for me, like sometimes it was one step forward, five steps back. Sometimes it was two steps forward, one step back. So There's a lot of going back and forth and that's completely normal. And now I don't actually see those things as steps back. I see that as learning. To me, it's always moving forward. Every perceived negative experience that you have is something you've learned from. So for me, that's not negative. That's a positive because you've learned from it and now you're going to do something differently next time. And if you don't, that's fine. But that learning is going to stack on top of each other and you're going to do something different the next time maybe. So understanding that it's not a linear process. And if you feel like you've gone backwards, don't beat yourself up. That's such, such a big thing to remember, but it would probably be one of my top tips for you. If you're on an intuitive eating journey to be kind to yourself and to recognize that it's not linear and nothing is bad because there's no rules. So everything is a learning. It's not breaking a rule. It's not doing a bad thing, but it's not my biggest tip. My biggest, biggest, biggest tip for becoming an intuitive eater is you have to go all in. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, I'll just try it for a couple of weeks and see, or I'll do it. But if I put on like two kilos, no, thank you. I'm out. It's not one of those things. And for me in the beginning, it was absolutely one of those things. So it didn't stick. First few times I tried it it was like, eh, it didn't work because I went in with that mindset and you cannot go in with that mindset. You have to be willing to go, That's it. I am doing this. It's not, oh, but what if another cool diet comes out next week? No, because if you're sitting on the fence, like intuitive eating is so focused around mindset because it's not some diet where you just stick to rules and things like that. You really need to get your head right. And I'm not saying that that's super easy and I'm not saying that that's going to come straight away, but it's absolutely something you have to be able to say to yourself. This is it. I'm going all in. I don't care what happens. I'm going to do it. Because mindset is so important. And the power of our mind, if you are sitting on the fence, your body knows it. If you're sitting there going, oh, but if I put on one kilo, then your body's like, cool, well, this isn't it. <laughs> we're not committed. So we're, we're going to fail. We're not going to do it properly. So, yes, that's my biggest, my biggest tip for you. Go all in. Balls to the ball. Put it all on the line. Just do it. Now I want to share with you some of the essential steps that I took on that journey from binging to balance so that you can copy them (laughs) so that you can do it too. Basically, I'm also going to share some mistakes that I made along the way as well, because I think that's important too. And I want you to learn from my mistakes so that your process is a whole lot better than mine, whole lot faster than mine, whole lot easier than mine, whole lot cheaper than mine. That's what I would love for you. So one of the first steps was allowing all foods and making peace with them. So those two things are not the same thing. I think some people think it's the same thing. They're like, oh yeah, if I'm allowing all foods, it's making peace. Absolutely not. You can be allowing all foods and still be stressing about them. Still be feeling guilty about them. Still be feeling shamed of them. So you need to make peace as well. So how I did that, one of the biggest things in doing this process is working out what my food rules were. So a food rule, it doesn't even necessarily have to be what you can eat and what you can't eat. Absolutely. That's part of it. You know, you might have a food rule that you can't eat chocolate, for example, Chocolate is a no, no, or McDonald's is a no, no, whatever it is. Or it might be like on amounts of it. So you can have two pieces of bread in one day. So if you have two pieces of toast with your breakfast, you absolutely cannot have a sandwich for lunch. That might be a rule. Your rule might be to do with timings of food. Can't eat after 7 PM. It might be in quantities of food. It could be calorie related. It could be macro related. There are so many different aspects to food rules and for someone who had a disordered relationship with food, I had approximately 11 billion of those. I can still remember listing out my food rules and it was pages on pages on pages on pages on pages. So many different rules. And I think it's also important to address here what's a rule and what's a preference because you might be like, well, I don't want to eat four pieces of bread a day. Like that would actually make me feel yuck. Cool. No problem. If that, that's a preference, that's fine. You don't have to eat four pieces of bread a day. That's cool. And the way to work out what's a rule and what's a preference, if you're like, mm, is this a rule for myself or is this a preference? Think about, well, what if you had to, what if you had to have four pieces of bread a day? Let's say you had eggs on toast for breakfast and then you went to work and work was catering and all they had was sandwiches. How would you feel? Would you be like, ah, oh, this isn't what I would, you know, normally choose, but no problem. Or would you be stressing? Would you be feeling guilty? Would you be feeling anxious about it? If you, if it's the latter, it's probably a rule, probably something for you to work on there. But if it's just like a, I choose not to do that, cool, no problem. You're allowed preferences. You do you. So, my mistake when it came to allowing all foods and making peace with them is that I tried to do it all at once. I tried to just chuck every single food rule from my multiple A4 pages out the window and go ham. And I just ended up in this like period of wild overeating. And I think that's normal. Like, I, I think I've done an episode on this before that it's okay to do that. And I think most people who do go on this journey do have that period of like wild overeating and that's, that's fine. But the way I did it was probably not the smartest. Like it was very much like go wild on every single thing. And it just stressed my nervous system out. Like I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good about it. Any, it was, there was no lack. There was probably a day of hell. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. And then after that, it was like, Oh my God, this is too much. I'm really stressed. I'm scared. I don't like this. I'm not having a good time. This is not fun. And so I just, yeah, freaked my nervous system out, basically. Like, I've always liked going all in on things, which is why I like, you know, diets. I was like, yes, the rules. I love the rules. So if the rule is there are no rules, I was like, done. Let's take this to the extreme. Let's go all out on it. So that was probably my mistake. I absolutely believe in taking a bit more of a baby steps approach. So breaking one food rule in a way that makes you feel safe in a way that makes you feel comfortable because it can be a really scary process for someone who has really strict food rules. It feels scary. Yeah. I feel like that's the best word for it. It feels scary. So instead of stressing yourself out more and trying to break 10 rules at once, one at a time, take it easy. Another part of this was changing my language around food. So that was a really important one for me with making peace with food. I never said things like good or bad in relation to food. Well, I mean, I did, but I would catch myself and go, ah, no, we don't say that anymore. There is no moral value to food. Food is not good. Food is not bad. I'd give myself a talking to for that. I wouldn't say things like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that again. Or if I did catch myself, I would consciously change that. Or, you know, speaking guiltily about food in general, I've removed that guilt. That was the biggest, big, big, big part of it for me because I had so much guilt around what I was eating, around when I was eating, around how much I was eating, all of those types of things. So it was a real like self-compassion, bringing that compassion into it. Another step on my journey was shifting my mindset and all of my beliefs around food and around bodies. This was, this was huge. This was probably the biggest, and I know I've said this before, this is one of the biggest things you can do. So I had to go really, really deep on my beliefs about food and unlearning everything I've ever been taught about health, all of the things. Now, like I'm a nerd. I need all of the knowledge at all times. So for me, I went and I listened to every podcast and I read every book and I took notes on everything. So I had facts to refer back to like when that self doubt crept in. So about things like, you know, health and things like that, about what's healthy, what's unhealthy, about obesity, about nutritional content around food, around what we actually need to survive and to thrive and all of these things I went and just you know went through all of them every single one of them because that's that's who I am and then my beliefs about bodies as well I had to really go through and recognize my limiting beliefs recognize my prejudices recognize my fat phobia that I had because absolutely I had internalized fat phobia we all do like we're conditioned to believe that we're conditioned to believe that people in bigger bodies are less than. And it feels gross to say, and it's really hard to admit that for a lot of people. But for most of us, that's how we're raised. That's what society tells us. So there was big, big, big work there to do, really deep work about changing my beliefs about bodies. And a really huge part of that for me was putting weight loss on the back burner. So I really had to change my priorities because I realized that focusing on this, focusing on weight loss all the time It wasn't working like something needed to be done differently. And I always had this, you know, belief that I could do it. And the next time it will work for me, the next thing I do, that'll be the answer. I just, there's something wrong inside me that needs to switch. And then the weight loss will change my life, blah, blah, blah. But I realized that wasn't working because it hadn't worked for 16 years. So I was like, you know what? It's probably not going to start working. Let's try something completely different. Let's go all in on this thing and see what happens. So like, I still wanted to lose it absolutely. I still wanted to lose weight when I was on this journey to becoming an intuitive eater. And I also, I thought I'd always feel that way. Like I genuinely could not see a future where I didn't care about my weight, where I didn't care about weight loss, but I was, I was just willing to give it a go. (laughs) I was willing. I was at that point. I was like, I've reached breaking point. I've hit a wall. I need to do it. And this is something I say all the time, all the time in clients as well. Everyone who starts working with me wants to change their body. Hands down. Every single person wants to, whether it's lose weight or shift it or like shift the way their body looks or whatever, pretty much everyone wants to, but by the end of our time working together, most of the time they don't care anymore. That's my goal. I want you to not give a shit. (laughs) So for me, anyway, back to my, back to my journey, I worked my way through the three phases of body judgment. I did an Instagram post about this the other day because it's something that I've noticed a lot of the time with people I work with and also from myself. So I'm going to talk you through it. So basically in phase one, there's three phases. Phase one, in this phase, you're judging the way people's bodies look. Like you've got those sometimes kind of mean thoughts popping up about people in larger bodies or maybe who have a different body type than what you consider the ideal. But it's also just not limited to other people. Like you judge your own body as well. And you've probably got really strict standards for yourself or you've got that like inner bitch running rampant in your head. That's phase one. Phase two is when you're like, but it's different for me. Like you're not judging other people's bodies. You're looking at, you know, plus size babes in crop tops and thinking, yes, queen, love that. You're hot. But the same rules don't apply to you. Like other people can do whatever they want and you love it. You're here for it. You're frothing it, but you're still hardcore criticizing your own body. And you just don't think that's ever going to be possible for you. Like it feels different from you. And then in phase three, which is where I'm at now, there's no judgment. Like you don't judge yourself. You don't judge other people. And if any of those like pesky judgmental thoughts pop up, you know how to de-identify with them and shut them down. It's like judgment nirvana. So I am currently in phase three, but when I started, I was phase one. Phase two was probably my biggest, like timing wise, that was probably my biggest phase. Once I realized that actually, Jimmy, you're being a bit of a bitch judging people all the time. I want to change this. And this is the thing. People in phase one, once they recognize it, often feel bad about it often want to change it so if you heard that and you were like Ooh, I'm in phase one no judgment like absolutely no judgment for you absolutely only compassion for you if you can recognize that you can start working on moving to phase two so my mistake in this step was the fact that I worked on food for ages first without working on like my body relationship at the same time and that meant that I just went backwards like so much more because I was still pretty stuck in these negative body beliefs and I wasn't going much deeper into that than just doing like the occasional affirmation in the mirror. So this is why I'm so passionate. This I'm so passionate. I should do a whole episode on this. You need to do both of them together side by side because that is the best way. And that's why I teach that in the confidence code. I teach both of those things, food relationship and body relationship at the same time, working on them together because you cannot nail one without nailing the other. It is simply not possible. Now, the next step on my journey was reconnecting with my hunger and fullness cues. So a lot of people have really out of whack hunger and fullness cues, particularly if you're someone who's been dieting for a really long time. And maybe you like, I don't diet, but you lifestyle change it for a long time. You try and control your food intake or try and control your body for a long time. Basically, you suppress those natural hunger and fullness cues. So the way it works is like if your body keeps sending you a signal and saying, Hey Gemma, I'm hungry. Here's a rumbly tummy, and you keep going, God oh, no, I shouldn't be hungry yet. I had XYZ for breakfast, or oh my god, no, I only ate two hours ago, or oh no, but dinner's only in an hour, so I shouldn't eat now, I can't eat now, or I'll just drink water instead, or I'll go for a walk, or I'll paint my nails, or whatever bullshit those Instagram posts suggest you do. If your body keeps doing that, Keeps knocking on the door being like, hello, let me in, give me some food. And you keep ignoring it. Eventually it's like, cool. Well, I'll just go fuck myself then. <laughs> I'm just going to disappear. You're clearly not listening to me. I keep talking to you and you keep not listening to me. So I'm out. I'm not going to bother anymore. I'll only show up when I'm at the point where I'm like shaky, dizzy, about to faint hungry because you have to listen to me then because it's a survival thing. So this is what keeps happening. So I had no hungerfulness cues absolutely had some, but it was like, I just went from go to woe instantly. I'd be fine. I'd be thinking I'm not hungry. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, if I don't eat now, I will die. So a lot of people, I like that. But for me, absolutely did not have the hungerfulness cue. So I really had to reconnect with them. So for me, that was about bringing that conscious awareness to it. And like, I had a lot of data for how my body reacts to hunger after like restricting and binging and doing intermittent fasting and emotional eating. I felt like my hunger couldn't be trusted <laughs> and I knew that my hunger couldn't be trusted because my signals were out of whack, but I ex- approached it like an experiment. Like, okay, think back to when you were intermittent fasting. Like when were you hungry? What data did that give you? Like I didn't like data things in school, but now I love it. Give me all the data. So really tapping into myself, like, okay, I'm noticing that I start getting grumpy at like 11am if I haven't eaten. Cool. Maybe that's a signal Of hunger for me. I'm not getting the typical hunger signals that I would expect, like, you know, a rumbly tummy or something, but I'm starting to get a bit grumpy. Maybe that's to do with it or playing around with the timings that I was eating, the quantities that I was eating and starting to see what happened to my body. It was, yeah, I mean, I approached it like an experiment. I'm a big fan of treating things like experiments. I get my clients to do this all the time. Now, my mistake with reconnecting with my hunger and fullness cues was I was stuck in a bit of a trap about meal prep because I used to be meal prep queen. I prepped, you know, every single meal for my whole week, including weekends and all my snacks and all of that business. And so for me, when I was trying to get into intuitive eating, it was like, but I'm supposed to be intuitive. I'm supposed to work out like what I feel like eating and when I feel like eating it and the quantities and stuff, but how do I do that and still prepare everything? So I thought I had to like throw everything out the window. I thought it wasn't possible for me to be prepared and to connect with my body cues properly. So I spent months just battling between the two, like in this constant push and pull, this tug between the two being like, I want to be prepared. I want to be, I want to be meal prepped, but I also want to connect with my body and I can't do that. So I have to choose one or the other. And the way I worked that out was adapting meal prep. And I like, this took me a lot longer than it should have. This is, Definitely. I did not go about this the right way. It took me a really long time, really long time to get around this, but working out that I don't have to finish everything that I've prepped. If I don't want to, I also don't have to eat the thing that I've prepped. If I don't want to, if I feel like something else, I can choose something else. I can make a different meal or I can grab another meal that I planned for another day. So for me, one of the big things was making things that was like, that were freezer friendly, So that if I didn't want something, because I didn't want to waste food, I could put it in the freezer, have it another time. Perfect. There you go. I've got many different meal prep tips for intuitive eaters, but we could be here all day if I gave you all of them. So for me, my mistake, yeah, was basically thinking that I couldn't do both, thinking that I couldn't meal prep, that I couldn't be prepared and that I couldn't be an intuitive eater because that didn't match my hunger and fullness cues. But in actual fact, you absolutely can. Now, the next step was understanding why I was binging and creating strategies to overcome it, which were not the ones that were given to me by a psychologist. I'm going to start with my mistake in this one. We're going to start with the mistake. So my mistake was that I relied on a psychologist who had learned about binging in a textbook to fix my binge eating. And I know that's controversial and nothing against psychologists. I love psychologists, but seeing a psychologist wasn't super helpful for me personally with my binging caveat on the personally, absolutely. Some people have had great experiences. Me personally, no, like she helped me so, and she was great. I, she's wonderful. She helped me so much with my depression and my anxiety, but I'm the one who made the changes for myself when it came to binging. What I learned in therapy did not help me there. It didn't like there were absolutely little tips, little trips, urge surfing. I learned about in therapy and that's great. I teach that now, but for me the overall changes the big changes the things that actually made a difference are things that I did on my own things that I learned from people who have been there and done that and get it like I didn't resonate with a psychologist on this level because the whole time I was like you don't understand you don't get it you've read a textbook and that's how you know about this but you don't understand you can't relate to me you're telling me oh that's fine when it's not fine and that's invalidating my feelings it's invalidating my experience so for me that's that's one of my big things when it comes to this stuff i think it's so important to learn from someone who actually gets it and that's what i hear from my clients all the time they're like i love working with you on this stuff because you've been there you've done that you know how shit it is you're not just working from theory i suppose So I believe that there are four main reasons why we binge. There's restriction, triggers, habit, and the animal brain. So it can be a combination of all of them. And for me, it 100% was. It was definitely all four of these. Now, I'm not going to go into what all these are and how to move past them, because that's some of the gold that you get in the confidence code. And it'd take far more than an entire episode. But learning about these four key parts to my binging from separate sources was a game changer for me. And then once I knew why I was binging, I could start putting in place strategies that work for me personally, not just, you know, what's out of a textbook. And because like, I'm self-aware, I am (laughs) so self-aware. And so again, I treated it like an experiment. I threw every single thing at the wall to see what stuck. Like I said before, I read all the books. I listened to all the podcasts. I did all of that stuff. And I tried every single strategy I could find, every piece of knowledge I could find to do with binging. And I applied it and I tried to see what stuck. Some of it was dumb stuff. Some of it was stuff that was great, but just not great for me. And then some stuff absolutely changed my life. So if you're in this situation, if you're someone who's binging, I think it's a real combination of learning and doing. So I did a lot of learning, a lot of understanding, a lot of self-reflection before I truly started doing that actual work and making the changes that would solve the binge eating problem. Not just like providing band-aid solutions to help in the moment, but Things that, you know, wouldn't actually help long term, which is also where I feel like a lot of people go wrong. We do like things that may be helping the moment, but we're not working on the whole issue. So it doesn't last. And then you're still binging and it's years later and you're like, well, this is who I am now. This is what I do. No, it does not have to be that way. And then the final step, the final step of my journey was bringing in gentle nutrition once I was truly ready. And that's the most important part. Once I was truly ready. There's a whole misconception with intuitive eating that it's all just about eating whatever you want, when you want, with no regard for health. That is not true. There is absolutely regard for nutrition, but you cannot focus on it at the start. You just can't. It doesn't work because if you're focusing on nutrition, you can't make peace with all foods. You can't unlearn all of the stuff that you've learned over your entire lives about health and what's good and what's bad and all of that stuff. So, Gentle nutrition is bringing back some of that nutritional knowledge that, yes, we need vitamins and minerals. We need a split of, you know, carbs and protein and fat and things like that for our bodies to thrive. We bring back in a bit of that nutrition knowledge, but in a gentle way, there's no rules. It's not rigid. It's not strict. It's just about tapping into that and tapping into what our bodies need. So for me, my mistake was trying to do it too early. (laughs) or, you know, thinking I could do it alongside all the rest of the steps towards becoming an intuitive eater. And this is the thing, like there's intuitive eating principles, which were in the book intuitive eating by Elise Thresh and Evelyn Triboli. And the final one is honoring your health with gentle nutrition. It's the final one for a reason. The rest of them, I feel like you can do out of order, but the final one is the final one for a reason. And if you try and do it early, it- just doesn't work. And I mean, I thought that, you know, like I said before, I've had multiple steps back and you know, one forward, five steps back, that kind of thing. And one of those moments was I really thought I was thought I was there. Thought I was pretty much done. It was in 2019 and I was actually feeling good, like I was really overcoming the depression, the anxiety, really felt like I'd kind of overcome the eating disorder. And I joined F45 and I loved F45. at the best time, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to do the challenge. Yeah, I can do the challenge and I'll be good. Like I'm doing so well now. So the challenge included strict meal plans. I think they're better now than they used to be, but they were awful then. Like so bad. Like I'm pretty sure I was on, you know, 1200, 1300 calories and the men were on 1600 or something. It was one of those blanket, like women get this, men get this because that's how the world works. So anyways, yes, dodgy, dodgy meal plans and like the body scans and the weigh-ins and all that stuff. I thought I could do that and not slip back into disordered territory. Spoiler alert, it did not work. It absolutely did not work. So I was really trying to do it too early. I wasn't ready at all. I was still working through things. And so I think that's one of the biggest lessons. A lot of people think they're ready for gentle nutrition and they're not ready for gentle nutrition, which is why it's so important to have someone who understands it, who can guide you and kind of help you with when you are ready. So like I said, it took me a while to reach that point. It took me a long time to reach a point where I was actually ready for gentle nutrition because I was really good at fooling myself and slipping back into restriction and being like, no, it's just gentle nutrition, but it was actually restriction. And then I'd have to like, felt like I had to go through the whole process again. So that process would have been so much faster with support so that I could have talked it out and like, being called out on my BS by people who knew me and knew when I was doing it the right way or the wrong way. And I mean, those were actually the times that I felt like I made the biggest jumps forward and managed to actually reach that point of intuitive eating because they were little times when, and there weren't that many of them, but when people who understood called me out or questioned me, like I can still remember the moment that one of my best friends said to me, do you really need to be going to F45 and going to the gym at night? I feel like maybe that's that's actually not helpful for you maybe you are fooling yourself and it was like oh (laughs) you know what I think you might be right I'm gonna quit the gym and just go to F45 like sometimes you need those people who can call you out on your BS and help you understand whether what you're doing is actually healthy or whether you're slipping back into that restrictive mode because I know I'm not the only person there who's good at fooling themselves there are a lot of people who do so overall if I was doing this all over again If I was going through my journey from binging to finding actual balance, would I do anything differently? Fuck yes, I would. Oh my God. Yes, I would. I would have sought out support from someone who actually knew what I was going through instead of someone who learned about disordered eating from a textbook and hadn't experienced anything like it. And that's why I created the confidence code, because I want to give you that exact step by step formula of what actually worked for me without all those missteps, without all that wasted time, that waste of money, that wasted effort, blah, 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 blah. That's what I want to give you. Step by step, easy, no fluff, actually works. So the waitlist is open now and anyone who's on it will get first access, VIP bonuses and some other sneaky surprises. So if you're keen, which if you've listened to this whole episode, you probably need it. So go and join the waitlist now. I'll pop the link in the show notes for you can't wait to open it again. it is my favorite thing that I do. I love 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 this program. it is literally like it's like my baby. it's it's incredible. So the waitlist is open. go and join and I'll see you in the next episode.